Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So, here we are in the fifth week of this series, looking at the challenges and invitations of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that tell us the story of Jesus's life here with us on earth. And today we're going to look at Jesus's invitation to come and take. So let's open up God's word together. And I'm going to read from Matthew 25, 31 to 46. So grab your Bibles and let's read together. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, what is going on here? There are sheep, there are goats, there's fire, there's eternal life. If anyone told you that the Bible was boring, they should have a little read of this passage. But let's rewind a little bit. Jesus walked among us. He knew the world was a mess. He came and walked among us, died for us, that we might be totally forgiven of everything that we got wrong. He ascended to heaven and left the Holy Spirit with us that we might know him more intimately than ever. And promises that one day he will come again and there will be no more pain, no more tears and no more suffering. 
More than any other of the Gospels, Matthew is focused on this moment when Jesus returns. This prince in rags coming back as the crowned king of the universe. That's who the son of man is here in this passage. That's Jesus. And this passage we've read from comes at the end of a bunch of parables that Jesus tells us that are all about how we live in this time now. In between the time when Jesus walked on earth and before he comes back again. Some people call it the kingdom of now and not yet. Because Jesus is with us now, we are certain of this. He has already risen from the grave. The Holy Spirit is with us, but we are still walking with and through the pain of a whole earth, a whole creation that is yet to be totally reconciled with him. But Jesus promises that there will be a time when there is no more hurt. I'm wondering how you are today. I wonder if this world with no more hurt and no more pain is too hard for you to imagine today. But one of the overarching themes we learn from Matthew is that whatever we are facing, we can stand in absolute assurance that we have eternal hope beyond all circumstances, that one day we will be completely restored, healed and held by God. These parables Jesus tells us here in Matthew 25 are to help us how to work out how to navigate this time right now. To work out what this hope of Jesus returning means for us as followers of Jesus right now and how we are to live in the light of this. So who are these sheep and goats that this passage talks of that are being divided up? The theologian Tom Wright notes that in the Middle East, the sheep and the goats would have been grazing together in the day and then separated by a shepherd at night. So the goats being less woolly could keep warm. He noted that it can also be quite difficult to tell them apart. Maybe there are some shepherds watching that would like to disagree. But Jesus uses this illustration that his audience would understand. And there is so much discussion around this passage. Theologians just can't agree if this separation of people like sheep and goats is referring to the treatment of God's people, that is those who have followed him, and how those who haven't followed him have treated those who do, and who those people even are. Or some suggest this is how we'll be judged by our treatment of those who society casts aside as followers of Jesus. And we could debate this for hours, and history and very clever people already have. And that is an important task. However, we can all agree here that the priorities of heaven come through loud and clear. Jesus is particularly for those who are traditionally ignored, oppressed and marginalised. There's no arguing that here this passage tells us that the heart of our faith is relationship with Jesus himself and that this relationship itself is a call to live a life that is focused not on ourselves but that is poured out for others. This is the inheritance we are invited to come and take. You see God is particularly for the downtrodden, the oppressed and the rejected. 
the King of heaven, Jesus chooses to be found amongst those of us who are hungry, thirsty and homeless, the stranger or the displaced and the sick and those in prison. If that is you, God is with you and for you. If you are overwhelmed, exhausted and at the end of yourself today, this is for you. You are deeply and fiercely loved. Your inheritance is more than you could possibly imagine. On that day when you reach those pearly gates or whatever it is that greets us, you will be met by the hollering of heaven, cheering for you because you are heaven's guest of honour. Many of us are facing unemployment, pain, grief, exhaustion, loneliness and heartache. Know that God is with you and for you. If you frequently find yourself in last place, God is with you and for you. If you don't have the money to make ends meet at the moment, God is with you and for you. If you don't have the food to feed your family or clothes for their back, God is with you and for you. If you are grieving or ill or fighting at death's door, God is with you and for you. If you are exhausted and facing battle after battle after battle, God is with you and for you. If you are locked up and shut away, God is with you and for you. If you have been ignored, displaced, rejected or dismissed, God is with you and for you. This is the King of heaven, the one that does more than fight for you. He overcame death for you. And not only did he overcome death for you, he calls you his friend. Yes, that moment when there'll be no more tears and pain will be more than we can ever imagine. But you don't have to wait. Today, right now, God is inviting you to come and take your inheritance, full, unhindered relationship with him. It can start right now. Your inheritance is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It's a promise of a full life, not a pain-free life that is without suffering, but of a full life with a God who loves you and is for you. Your inheritance is to sit with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of heaven ruled by the manifesto of the Beatitudes couldn't be more different to the rules of our current society and what it dictates. We read them in Matthew 5 and these are, this is from the message version. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He is the food and drink in the best meal you will ever eat. You are blessed when you care. At that moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You are blessed when you get inside your world, your mind and your heart, and you put them right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. 
That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. So if that is you this morning, reach out, be held by God, take your inheritance and hold on. He is holding you. Come and take your inheritance. A kingdom and a community where you are co-heirs with Christ, where everything the world has told you is weak becomes strength. A kingdom where those who have been cast aside are heard and honoured and even crowned. Of course, for many of us, this passage in Matthew is a great challenge. When I read this passage, I'm reminded of a beautiful line from a musical, Les Mis. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Maybe some of you are disappointed. I don't know. I could give you a little sing song. But the line is, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. You and each and every person around you is made in the image of God. You and every person around you are made in the image of God. Let me ask this. Does this fill you with the reverence that it should do? Jesus is clear here in this passage. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So me and my husband, Mike, we've been married eight years this July, which is exciting. And many moons ago, we went to Italy for our honeymoon, which was very nice. And on the morning we flew out, we were sat in the departure lounge and Mike suddenly says, oh my gosh, quick, Jazz, get a photo. But before I can ask of who or what, I see Mike cruising towards a middle-aged man in a suit who is heading to board the plane straight away. I try and I sort of stage whisper to Mike because he's already, he's on the other side of the room. And I'm like, wait, who's that? Leave that man alone. He's on his holiday. But Mike has his eyes on the prize. And the next thing I know, Mike is shaking the guy's hand and is saying, best thing you did, glory season for Liverpool in 2005. Thank you for everything. Can my wife take a photo? He smiles and nods and soon everyone around us is making a fuss and going, that's Rafa Benitez, that's Rafa Benitez. And the man sort of slips away behind a conveniently placed curtain and boarded the plane. Now the football fans among you will know who that is, but I certainly didn't have a clue. Mike saw this chance encounter with perhaps Liverpool's greatest manager on the first morning of our honeymoon as, and I quote, a sign of God's favour on our marriage. I don't even know who it was and to be honest I'm still not entirely sure but because other people seemed so excited about him being there I got swept up in it too I text my brother straight away being like I have just met Rafa Benitez even though five minutes before I had no idea who he was but because of his fame and perceived power total strangers i.e me just wanted to be around him and we're all drawn to powerful people. For so many of us, it's definitely not Premier League football managers, but we all are, and particularly in our weird, odd subcultures that we create. There's something in all of us that is drawn to the charisma of certain people. 
Perhaps it's people with status and money and expertise and areas we are passionate about. But why? Why do we do this? Well, we all do it. And we all do things to try and make ourselves feel more important or powerful in the eyes of the world, consciously or not. Maybe we try to get close to those we see as influential. Maybe we try to get really rich. Maybe we try and make ourselves more beautiful, more intelligent. Maybe even we put other people down around us by making cruel jokes. We all know many of these things aren't inherently bad. They make us feel awesome for a flicker of a second, but that fades rapidly and we are left feeling a bit empty, on the edge of something, never quite at the top or slightly left out. What cost are we holding on to these things? At what cost are we holding on to them? Are we holding on to money and recognition and beauty and ambition and power so tightly that we can't let go in order to accept the invitation to take our heavenly inheritance that Jesus invites us to? What if our focus is on the wrong thing? What if we've got distracted? Like me, it was on Rafa Benitez, someone that means nothing to me. Sorry, Liverpool fans. I dropped everything and got totally swooped up in a moment for an entertaining flash in the pan. When I am 80 years old, will I remember chasing Rafa Benitez? Or will I remember the times I encountered the face of Jesus in dear friends and those whom he calls us to lay down our lives for? What if the invitation for us to come and take our inheritance is to let go of these things, that we might live for something beyond ourselves, that we might see the face of God in those around us as we truly love and serve each other? Do we truly treat those around us in every interaction as though we are all brothers and sisters of the King of Heaven, especially those who the world has gotten down? There's a very old Salvation Army poster that hangs in our kitchen and it says, a man may be down, but he is never out. Heaven never counts anyone out and neither should we. So Emmaus Road, let's learn this truth and tattoo it all over us. We are living for something beyond ourselves. The crisis we are living through has caused loss and grief for every single one of us. Some of us are grieving dear friends, family members. Others are grieving loss of sleep and sound mind as you spend yourself on the care of others. Some of us are grieving loss of connection. Others are grieving loss of identity and purpose in lockdown as we question our value systems and life choices. There has been great loss and collective grief in this season. But where there is great loss, there is great hope for redemption in collective healing. Whatever you have lost, whatever you are grieving or processing, the invitation of Jesus is still the same to come and take your inheritance the inheritance of his upside down kingdom, an invitation to reach out and be held by heaven and hold on to your identity, or an invitation to let go so that you might 
in turn reach out, be held and hold on all the while serving one another in love. If we accept this invitation to come and take, not only do we inherit the promise of heaven, but we get to experience heaven on earth. The beauty of a community living its life in line with the Beatitudes, one you might just not get to see the true beauty of if you, if we don't let go. If we don't let go, reach out, allow ourselves to be held by heaven and hold on to our true identities, our heavenly inheritance. So how do we begin to do this? I think we can start with three simple things. We pray, we remember and we act. So firstly, we pray, we spend time with God, allow him to speak to you. What do you need to do so that you can come and take your inheritance? Do you need to reach out and hold on? Do you need to perhaps pray a prayer to give your life to Jesus? Because you can do that today in our prayer room. Do you need God to remind you that he is for you? Or do you need to let go of some things in order that you can reach out and hold on? Secondly, we remember we remember that to love another person is to see the face of God. Remember that every person you speak to is made in the image of God and treat them as such. How does remembering this change the way you interact with the people in your life? And finally, we act. We seek out those who are in pain and we befriend them. This is how we care for the world. This is how we get to know Jesus. Start with your neighbours. Let's be normal about it. If all your friends look and speak and act like you, go and make some new ones. Or find somewhere that you can volunteer. The lighthouse, a Samaritans, a hostel, a prison. How can you support people like Mike Stanbrook, who we heard from earlier as he serves those in our prisons? This is the invitation of Jesus. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world.